0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told
1: You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Today is a listener request. Um, we got a letter, uh, you know, suggesting that we look into shipping and one true pairing. And of course, I immediately was like, I don't. I don't know what that, like shipping, like transporting things. I don't understand. Oh my goodness. In looking into this topic, did we uncover a ton of research? Yeah, it's fascinating. And I have a feeling there are probably some listeners saying,
0: I know what shipping is. Once repairing, of course. Uh, like you, Caroline, I was unfamiliar with this term, but once I started reading about it, I started out over at knowyourmeme.com. It's like the first Google result that you'll get when it comes up, and it gives you a pretty good um, rundown of what it is, and shipping is essentially short for relationshiping. You will also hear about relationshipers, which would be shortened to shippers, and it started out with fans of the X-Files who were split between relationshippers who really wanted to see Mulder and Scully get together versus the No-Romos who felt that any kind of romance between Mulder and
1: Scully would totally ruin the show. And the term is also pinned on Pokemon fans who rooted for Jesse and James of Team Rocket to get together and decided to call themselves Rocket Shippers. So all of that is shortened to ship or shipping. And this whole thing is just people feeling so attached to these characters that they they start rooting for or against certain things to happen in the show.
0: Yeah, and we intentionally did this episode during the week of Valentine's because it's a different angle of attraction and emotional investment that we don't hear much about. And obviously the the shipping side of it gets really deep into the world of fandom and fan fiction. But as we kind of jump into this rabbit hole of shipping, it emerges into a lot of areas that we probably all have some experience with. Uh, But first, uh, you mentioned one true pairing. That's something that comes up a lot in shipping. And essentially, it's a couple that a fan or a group of fans prefers over all the other ships or, Mm -hmm. or relationships.
1: Right, and they're not necessarily the main characters. Sometimes people focus fan fiction on, you know, side characters who they want to get together, or maybe if they think the main guy should really be in love with some other girl over here. But, you know, you could think of one true pairing as, like, Buffy and Angel, or Ross and Rachel, who are cited an insane amount in some of these studies.
0: Yeah, and this all segues into this thing called a parasocial Relationship And it's an actual psychological term, which was coined by Donald Horton and Richard Wall in 1956 to describe sort of an illusion of a relationship that a viewer or a listener will have with a performer or some kind
1: of character. Right. And it's you know, by definition, a one-sided relationship where the feelings extend past the viewing and into real life. You find yourself thinking about this person or character in real life and just the act of watching or listening to uh, this performance will just reinforce those feelings. It's kind of like if you develop a crush on someone, the more you see them, the more you like them. It's just that this happens to be with someone that you'll probably never meet. Yeah, and the
0: manifestations of these kinds of parasocial relationships via shipping, fan fiction and with our celebrity crushes that we get aren't new at all. With with fandom specifically, uh Know Your Meme talks about how in 1913, a book called Old Friends New Fancies was published and it was a remix, a, an old school fanfic uh, remixing characters from three Jane Austen novels, and there's even Mister Darcy fan art. Side note <laughs> that goes back to the early 1900s. Um, and with celebrity culture, obviously, it's uh, you know it's been a- around for quite a while, but it goes all the way back to really the 18th century, which is when you have the emergence. Of the celebrity while all these other new ideas are kind of boiling at the time in terms of selfhood, individuality, and the pursuit of
1: passions. Yeah, that's not something that I ever realized that celebrity, quote unquote, started so early. I mean, relatively, you know, it comes along with new consumerism. And this is when we also get gossip columns. Mm-hmm. No idea. Well,
0: and then you can tie into that, not just with our cult of celebrity, but also digging into shipping and one true pairing and fan fiction, the evolution of all of this stuff has really gone alongside the development of different types of communication technologies, whether you have, for instance, in the late 19th century, the rise of photography, which helped stoke the popularity of stage star Sarah Bernhardt, and then in the 1920s, with mass journalism starting to rise, you have something called jazz journalism, which I guess were the, like the early celebrity tabloids.
1: Yeah, really focusing on entertainment over news, glorifying celebrities. You know, people like Charles Lindbergh. You know, who was a huge celebrity for his feats of aviation. Um, so why why the long held focus? What are we What are we so obsessed with celebrities for?
0: Yeah, I mean, and this is looking more, moving away a little bit from the fan fiction element and into actual living people living in Hollywood a lot of times that we want to see photos of while they're getting their groceries. Like, why why do we care when celebrities do everything? And guess what, folks?
1: There are so many theories about it. Scholars, think about this stuff, too. Yeah, a lot of it. Theories include just the fact, simple fact that we enjoy living vicariously through really beautiful, rich people. That doesn't seem that hard to figure out. There's also, of course, schadenfreude where we take pleasure in the misfortune of others. So if Lindsay Lohan gets arrested again or, you know, somebody there's a picture of somebody tripping and falling, we tend to get a kick out of it. When you move into the more kind of literary look at things, linguist George Lakoff, who in his book, The Political Mind, posited that certain frame-based scenarios like rags-to-riches stories really appeal to us because they trigger an emotional response. They're imprinted in our brains. Rags-to-riches story like Anna Nicole Smith or bad boy stories like Charlie Sheen, they're very familiar to us, and so they gain traction pretty easily.
0: And because we are all sort of exposed in different levels to these celebrities. It makes sense that Fred Inglis, who authored A Short History of Celebrity, describes celebrity as a type of quote unquote social adhesive. Because I mean they can help us find common ground. It gives us something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, when you don't know someone very well, if you can find a celebrity or a television show or a book that you have in common, mm-hmm. boom. Conversation. Yeah. I
1: mean, I know every party I go to, I talk about Ryan Gosling. You're that. Go. I mean, I really don't talk about anything else. Just Sorry. Certain. Well, Ryan Gosling and corgis. That's pretty much all I talk about. Ooh. But uh, Daniel Borston back in 1962, had a different theory. He said that um, we are subbing in celebrities for gods and heroes of yore. Basically, we're losing our religion, we're losing our traditions, and so we are looking to these beautiful rich people to fill holes left.
0: Well, but you still have room for real-life heroes, too, of, say, uh, maybe a Hillary Clinton or a insert famous athlete whose name isn't readily coming to mind. (laughs) But no matter whether that person is a movie star or a politician or an athlete, whomever they are— Evolutionary psychology maintains that it's really ingrained in our humanity to want to,
1: you know, pay attention to higher status people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like Slate columnist Robert Wright, who wrote that keeping up with all of the gossip about people, whether it's people at work, you know, celebrities in the news, it can, quote, inform social maneuvering for sex and other vital resources. And that sort of information about who's up, who's down, who's doing what, who's doing whom, uh, is the sort of information that's conducive to fitness.
0: Yeah, and also at Slate, columnist Jack Schaefer even ties it to reproduction, saying that, well, we're paying attention to these people and who they're having babies with. I mean, thinking about how... Oh my God! Pregnancy pictures of movie stars these days—it's kind of crazy—and in a very simplistic kind of way, Schaefer describes how way, way back in you know our, our human ancestors' time, we didn't need an Us Weekly to tell us what the higher-status individuals were doing, who they were having babies with. You look around, you see your group, and and you know what's up. But today, we almost need the celebrity culture to keep us clued in to what the higher-status folk are up to and wearing and buying and where they're vacationing.
1: Right, and he opines that women make up the bulk of the readers of tabloids and the subjects of tabloids because we are supposedly checking out the alpha competition.
0: Well, I wonder if that's you could make that same kind of statement, too, about, like, yeah, women might pay more attention to Hollywood, but plenty of guys are watching ESPN for a lot of hours of the day, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: So in all of this kind of constant checking on our favorite celebrities or least favorite celebrities, depending, you know, we're kind of seeing that they've succeeded in society. Maybe we want to attain some of what they have. But when you start focusing too much on some things, you might start to become obsessive and actually develop celebrity worship syndrome.
0: Yeah, this is an actual obsessive addictive disorder in which, as you might guess, a person becomes overly involved with the details of a celebrity's life. And this really came to light uh, in 2002 when a team of psychologists developed the celebrity attitude scale to rank people along the spectrum of how deeply embedded celebrity culture is in their lives.
1: Right. And they found three dimensions to celebrity worship, basically three tiers of how freaking obsessed you are and how much of a role it plays in your life. You've got the bottom tier, which is entertainment social. It basically has attitudes like I just like to chat with a friend about how hot this celebrity is. Um, It just reflects the social aspects of celebrity worship, getting around the water cooler, talking about the hot guy on the show last night. There's the next tier, which is intense personal, and it reflects individuals' intensive and compulsive feelings around the celebrity. So you're not just talking about what a good character the kid is or whatever. You're going into fandom. Then the next tier is borderline pathological, which is basically like if XYZ celebrity told me to steal, I would do it.
0: Yeah, it's that level of obsession where you get into scarier issues of stalking um, and speaking to the BBC, Dr. John Maltby, who is a psych instructor at the University of Leicester, who has studied the celebrity worship syndrome says that around 1% of people that he studied, at least show more of those obsessional tendencies. But a majority of us are on that first tier of the entertainment social. We pay attention we might, you know, go to, I don't know, delist it every now and then. But yeah. it doesn't consume
1: our lives. Sure, exactly. Um, but, you know, I mean, this this does move out of the realm of real live people. And back to what we started talking about at the top of the podcast, which is fan fiction, developing relationships with characters, not necessarily real people. Yeah, you can develop
0: very real, in a way, parasocial relationships not just with celebrities on the street but also with either characters that celebrities might be portraying in shows or you know in literature with your favorite characters in books and npr commentator jake halpern i uh, had a great piece about this talking about his parasocial relationship with a cast of cheers i loved it i know <laughs> where he just really wanted to go and hang out with him he felt like he could yeah go and get a beer
1: and make conversation. Right. And it goes back to that continuing relationship that that uh, Horton and Wall talked about when they coined the term parasocial relationship. Just that, you know, uh, Halpern watches the show every week. He knows what Cliff and Norm are talking about at the bar and he wants to join them. And that relationship feels all the stronger for the fact that he checks in with them every week and they are exactly the same. That's another big part of these parasocial relationships with characters. Is that they're kind of always the same.
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of experienced this earlier this year with uh, Breaking Bad in a, in a not so positive sense. Like I did not want to go hang out with Walt. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But I, in order to catch up for the final season and don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen all of it. Um, but in order to catch up, I binged watched it because mm-hmm. a lot of it was on Netflix and I found myself, Caroline, thinking about Jesse and Walt and, you know, like in reactions to like things would happen in my day. And I think, Oh, oh Skyler would totally not be down with that. You know, like <laughs> it was starting to get weird. And at the beginning of the show, when I had very low investment, it, that wasn't something that I ever thought would happen, but I developed a very real kind of strange and unwanted attachment to these characters. But when it comes to the thought of making emotional psychological connections with fictional characters or with celebrities you might think well that might be a sign that something is not so well adjusted either in your social life or your brain but research bears out different and kind of counterintuitive results which we will get into when we come right back from a quick break and
1: now back to the podcast so we were just talking about connections to characters on TV, characters in movies, uh, fake people who you develop these connections with after repeated viewings of a show. And Kristen had been saying that, you know, a lot of the research is counterintuitive, that you would think like the loneliest, saddest people would be the ones to develop all these relationships. And that's not necessarily true, although some studies have connected some degree of loneliness with these parasocial relationships. Yeah, there was a
0: study published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology that came out in 2009, and it essentially found that absolutely these familiar television shows are sort of loneliness bridges for us. We turn it on to kind of keep us company, maybe Mm -hmm. if we're at home alone, or if we are going through sort of a downer period, we might be more likely to watch our favorite television shows.
1: Right. And they just said that it's basically a lot less work to turn on the TV than to struggle to maintain connections with real people, if, especially if you are feeling down. And they, they tested the social surrogacy hypothesis, theorizing that loneliness actually motivates people to seek out relationships. Even if those relationships aren't real, which not to make me sound like
0: I'm off the charts on the parasocial <laughs> relationship scale, Caroline. This also reminds me of when I a while ago went through a pretty awful breakup and I just started compulsively out of nowhere watching how I met your mother. And I had to have it on like in the, for like a couple weeks, like I just had to have it on in the background just to have something on. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't love the show, but I couldn't stop watching the show, mm-hmm. you know, and it's yeah. about like and it totally makes sense reading this research because it's about a group of friends like who are dealing with relationships.
1: Yeah, exactly. And when I lived by myself in Augusta, you know, I'd be cooking dinner at night and would find myself turning the TV on to feel less kind of lonely during dinner time. you know, like having those voices there, having people on TV either Reading the news or a sitcom or something made it feel like the house was full. And if we move from things like television programs back
0: into the realm of fan fiction and getting more online with uh, shipping and One True Pairing, I think it serves a similar kind of, not just as a creative outlet, but also I think it does serve a social function as well. Because with One True Pairing in particular, people are so heavily invested in in these couples,
1: and it's funny though, like side note, how Ross and Rachel from Friends are examples of almost every trope, yeah in in fan fiction because like you you could look at them as the one true pairing, you can also look at them as going through the quote unquote official couple ordeal syndrome where you know people are identifying with these characters, but these characters are being put through hell they're the show creators are toying with your emotions. But then what's interesting to see
0: with One True Pairing is that it's so more active than us just passively watching television or even just having it on in the background because they really become the architects of these fictional characters' lives to so the point that you get into slash fiction where characters are having sex with other characters and there are all sorts of different uh, pairings, whether it's a... Ho yay uh, ship, which is homoerotic positive shipping or sister ship, which, yep, gets incestuous, uh, and on and on and on. And this, I, I, this is such a deeper level of investment.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's worth looking at how you even get that involved because I don't think, I mean, there have been a few characters. I just don't watch a lot of TV disclaimer. But there have been characters historically where I have been like super invested in them. You know, I'm obsessed with them almost. But I have no idea what's behind that and what even got me there. And one example that I can think of is during high school when I'm going to bring it up, Kristen, when I watched La Femme Nikita. yes, my favorite show. How many times have I mentioned this? So I'm a teen in high school and I'm watching this really incredibly powerful kickbutt woman every week. And, you know, it was toying with my emotions because they were going to cancel that show like 3000 different times. But she stayed on the air. And I just I really did feel like I developed this relationship with her like, well, if only she knew me, but she's fake. So she doesn't.
0: But it's interesting you say, though, that you were in High school, because one factor that psychologists have identified as sort of predisposing you to forming parasocial relationships is being in periods of transition. I was going through a breakup when I went through my, <laughs> how I met your mother, just <laughs> almost dark spell. I wouldn't leave my apartment. Um, and you were going through high school. Is there mm-hmm. a more transitional time
1: than that? Right. And so, yeah, people who, end up with this over-the-top, either celebrity worship for real-life people or parasocial relationships with characters. They tend to be going through life transitions, and the same goes for elderly folks. That's another big period of transition with limited mobility. And one study was looking specifically at the parasocial relationships that elderly people form with, like, TV shopping hosts. Because they are in that period of transition where maybe they don't see their family as much. They have fewer sources of information. They are more susceptible to these parasocial relationships because they can't get out. And so they are lonely. We have said already that loneliness is a motivating factor for pursuing connections. And so they end up being more likely to overuse TV shopping channels because those hosts are like friends to them.
0: Oh, because they're probably
1: talking directly to them. Right. It's not like a sitcom necessarily where, I mean, obviously you can develop parasocial relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, sitcom stars are talking to each other. The TV host on the shopping network is looking right at you. Oh, that makes so much sense in the saddest
0: way possible. I know. Go hug a grandmother, someone.
1: But, I mean, research has shown that these parasocial relationships can influence, I mean, so much they can influence our views Of social issues like gay rights if there are gay characters on tv then and you feel like you know them then you're more likely to change your view of gay rights it can even influence teens views of how to achieve goals that are related to the development of their identities yeah it's one thing that can also make psa's
0: more effective as if that's why you have celebrities Mm -hmm. who are saying hey uh don't flush tampons that's not a psa anyone's ever done probably uh or or learn to read things like that right
1: don't drink and drive
0: that's a psa thank you <laughs> learn to read tampon labels i would make a horrible psa writer um but speaking of tampons let's talk a little bit about gender because I, I, my assumption going into this was that this is something that probably is more appealing to women and younger women
1: And it's not that it doesn't occur with a lot of women. It's just that men and women both experience it, and we kind of experience it for different reasons. We have different motivations for turning the TV on, and we have different motivations for leaving it on and coming back week after week.
0: Yeah, uh, there was one interesting study that came out in 1997, so it's a little dated, but it was looking at the intersection of dating, gender, and parasocial relationships And it found that men tended to form stronger PSRs with TV characters when they were anxious in their dating situation, whereas women were the opposite. We tended to form those parasocial relationships when we were more secure. So it was in a way we were we as in women were using these characters and TV shows as a way of sort of more firmly securing our dating situation.
1: Yeah, they they found that women tend to see TV as a friend or companion, whereas men are turning to TV to solve problems, which is pretty interesting.
0: Well, what's also interesting is that uh Twilighting, the whole Team Edward, Team Jacob, I mean, Twilight is just rife with parasocial relationships, fan fiction, one true pairing, You can go on and on and on, I mean, to the point that... uh Fifty Shades of Grey was born out of the fan fiction. You could call it some kind. What kind of ship would that be where you take a Bella character and you pair her up with a guy who's really into BDSM? I don't know. I'm sure it exists. Um But Twilighting, though, is a double form of parasocial relationship where you have fans of Twilight who transpose their parasocial relationships with characters in the book onto
1: Actors, right, right, and so that led Robert Pattinson at one point to say, "Like they know that I'm playing a character, right? I'm I'm just some Brit from you know over across the pond. I'm no, not the guy." But those kinds of
0: parasocial relationships, they do have really, they do have really real results. Is there a more eloquent way to say that? It's really real, but they do have results on us, not just in terms of making PSAs more effective, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, or alleviating loneliness for the time being uh but also when those characters like uh Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart Bella and Edward break up we
1: also feel that too oh the the horror the heartbreak no i mean yeah and these these breakup feelings can be felt for characters in a movie or on TV or for real life people who you don't know but you sure are sad about their divorce. Yeah, I had a really. It made me feel
0: awkward to myself having a, a an emotional reaction to the announcement of Amy Poehler and Will Arnett's divorce. Two people I would love to meet, probably never will, mm-hmm. and who I thought was oh, I love both of the things that they do in television and movies. Why did I care? It was the strangest thing, Caroline.
1: Yeah, I. I mean, I. I've felt that too you know just like extreme sadness over like you, you guys can't work it out like yeah. there's not anything what happened what happened what happened what happened and so Kristen uh, not to make this completely about La Femme Nikita like I do everything but there have been studies that look at people's feelings about the end of a show and so the end of a relationship a parasocial relationship that, that they have with a character and Like I said, you know, USA was going to cancel LaFemme Nikita like 15,000 times. And the fan base, I mean, I was only in high school, but like the active online fan base went crazy and actually got the show back because people were so intensely invested in the story.
0: Yeah, Jonathan Cohen is a researcher who has done a couple of studies, actually, on these parasocial breakups, and he's found in a nutshell that Yes, we do feel them too, but the level that we feel them is very much tied to our psychological attachment style. Mm-hmm. You hear this a lot with a relationship psychology where you are usually fall into one of three categories of being securely attached, avoidantly attached, which is like, woohoo, uh, uh, don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> Or you have anxious attachment and people who are more anxiously attached, people who might be in real life a little more uh, nervous about the, the status of their relationships tend to feel these kinds of parasocial breakups a little more strongly than avoidantly or securely attached people.
1: Right. And Cohen was saying that because it's not necessarily the people we would think having these parasocial relationships, that we should probably view PSRs as an extension of people's social relationships, not necessarily compensation for a lack of them. Because like we said, you know, men are, if they're anxious about their relationships, they'll turn to TV. If women are feeling great about theirs, they'll turn to TV. It's not necessarily that you completely avoid human contact because he argues, if you were an avoidant personality, you wouldn't want to create relationships with characters on TV either. Right. Right. Well, and it's also good to
0: point out, too, that there have been a number of studies, you know, confirming and reconfirming that parasocial relationships are not red flags, that you are a shut in and don't know how to make friends. It's actually more tied to uh, characteristics of extroversion and sociability. It's like you said, it's the extension of these relationships. Um, there is one other study which found that we tend to rate these characters as closer than acquaintances, but not as close as close friends.
1: That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we do rate our friends higher than fictional characters. And to bring up yet another gendered aspect of this research, Cohen points out in his study of basically anticipating the end of a series that women who generally report stronger PSRs did not report expecting higher levels of distress as the show was ending and their relationships with these characters are ending. And he says that that probably has something to do with the fact that we're better able to cope with the end of real-life relationships slightly better than men anyway.
0: Well, and regardless of gender, the one thing that uh, with all of this information on parasocial breakups, the great part about shipping and one true pairing and fandom and online fan fiction and all these communities that exist is that you never have to break up now. You can simply dive into these new worlds and create these new worlds and new relationships. And and we also now have like more accessibility to real life celebrities than ever before. Mm-hmm. And you also have uh, I, I bet there are some listeners who might be familiar with the YouTube series, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, where they did an incredible job of having social media updates in real time as the show is going on. So you felt like you knew these characters as people because they're mm-hmm. in your Twitter feeds making comments. Yeah. And people got, you know, so into it. I think because of that closer relationship they were able to form. Yeah. Hmm.
1: This is interesting.
0: It is interesting. I mean it definitely made me think about my media consumption differently.
1: Yeah, it made me extra thankful that I don't do much TV watching. Although, you know what? I will say this. Sally, my mother, Sally, like, goes, she would be so embarrassed if she knew I was saying this. She goes to the store every Friday to pick up the new tabloid round. Um, And when I go home for dinner or whatever, like, she'll hand them off to me. And so that's the only time I ever read tabloids is when Sally hands them to me. And it's easy to get caught up in that. Like, as you're reading it, I'm like, oh, my God, she's pregnant again. Or like, oh, she looks so beautiful in that designer gown. You know, like I it's I can see how it is very easy to get caught up in in the celebrity worship. Yeah. I mean, and since this is a podcast, I feel like I need to
0: admit my own parasocial podcast relationships that I have Mm -hmm. with the ones that I listen to on a regular basis, like Professor Blastoff fans. Listen, Tignataro is like a friend to me in yeah. my head. <laughs> I wish, I wish in my in my living room too. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's easy because you know, especially it's not like with a lot of things like podcasts or whatever. It's not like people are very formally talking about very formal things. You know, it's it's like we're having a conversation right now, and I'm sure people out there. Also feel included in the conversation as we want you to.
0: Yeah, I would love for people to form parasocial relationships with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I hope that this was entertaining. I know that we covered a lot of territory from the fictional to the more celebrity focused stuff, but it all ties together. And I don't know. To me, it was, it was nice to see how the world of fandom Which we might think of as, as sort of a niche thing that we might not be that engaged with. We all engage in some form of it. Yeah,
1: we all do. It's just the fact that I have ever felt disappointed that a celebrity couple has broken up. Like when I, when I saw that Carrie Russell, who, okay, here, here, multi layered, I was obsessed with Felicity when it was on TV and I started rewatching it on Netflix not too long ago. So I'm just like, Carrie Russell, I just, I freaking love you. I think she's adorable. And then she gets married in real life. And I think her husband's all handsome and she's so pretty. And they've got this pretty kid. And then I hear that they're getting a divorce and I'm like, no, Felicity, no. And
0: so. Well, because that probably ties back into the theory of how, you know, we sort of live through them a little bit. Yeah. And if they're at the top of the social hierarchy. And and we see them, you know, not being able to quote unquote make it work. Right. Then sure it can give us pause.
1: Like, well, if that can't if they can't be perfect, how can I be perfect? But I don't think people should feel too bad about it, you know, because it's kind of like just if you're a freshman in high school, looking at the seniors in high school and their cool cars and their cool clothes and they get to do things, you know. They have, you know, cell phones or whatever. Whatever the kids have these days. They got their Snapchats. They got their Snapchats and their Roulettes and whatnot. Um, it's kind of the same thing. It's just like, what are the cool kids doing? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I definitely want to hear
0: from listeners on this. Does this ring bells for you? Who do you have a parasocial relationship with? Let us know. You can write to us momstuffatdiscovery.com, or just tweet us at momstuff podcast. Or you can always send us a message over on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you now about our episode on gender reveal parties. So I've got one here from Megan, and she writes, I have attended a small party, but I haven't hosted one. The one I went to had no gifts involved in just an hour or so, a fun chit chat and a delicious cake. If people want to continue to have parties like this, in all caps, she says, go for it. I don't have to bring a gift, but I do get cake and get to talk to people I mostly like, so sure. But I have heard of these parties going a little overboard, and I just can't stand behind that. I agree, if you're going to have a shower, then that should be the only time I should have to buy a gift for your baby. And too many parties seems like too much work. But I am a mom, so I have a different point of view than you guys might. I like the idea of this type of thing. It seems super fun, and I plan to do something similar when my husband and I have another child. It wasn't something I knew of when I had my daughter... And for me, and like the party I went to, I will likely only invite close family and friends, provide cake, and keep it short. But I think sharing that moment when you find out whether you're having a boy or a girl is kind of sweet. Whether we have some kind of dyed cake or icing or stuffed balloons in a box, I don't know. But most of these I've seen are pretty cute and make for an adorable picture. To me, it just seems like one of those things that if someone wants to take the effort to do it, let them have it. As long as they don't expect too much of other people.
1: So thanks, Megan. You know, right after we recorded that episode, I got on Facebook and uh, a friend of mine from college had posted pictures of her gender reveal party. Really? And I looked at the picture and I was like, is this what I think it is? Because it was a picture of a small white cake and on it were two football helmets and one was pink and one was blue. And it said pink versus blue. And then the next picture was the the cut cake that had pink uh, cake inside of it. It was like... Man, Kristen and I are on the ball. We've got our our fingers on the pulse. (laughs) That's right. Of something. Of something. The cake trends. (laughs) Um, Well, this letter is from Jennifer. She said, In November of 2011, I found out that not only was I pregnant, but that I was 26 weeks pregnant. Three negative pregnancy tests, no weight gain, and very mild symptoms, all of which could be put down to other things, led me to believe I was going through early menopause. I found out at a regular doctor's appointment. My husband got off work early that day, and we got an ultrasound that afternoon. We had already had too many surprises that day and decided not to find out the gender at the time, so we were given a sealed envelope. We wanted to keep the surprise for a while, and we wanted to make sure not to get too many gender-specific clothes, toys, or decor for our child. However, both of our mothers were really keen to know whether they were getting a granddaughter or a grandson. Also, answering the question got to be kind of an annoyance. With the agreement of the friends who were throwing our shower for us in January 2012, we gave the envelope to our cake maker, another friend, and had her do a gender reveal cake for our baby shower. That way, a lot of the gifts we would get would be gender neutral, we wouldn't be having a second party that people might think they were required to bring gifts for, and we could answer the question and share our reaction with an awful lot of people at once. Because our mothers and extended families live more than a thousand miles away from us in opposite directions, they couldn't be there but we were able to have friends set up webcams for live streaming so that everyone could share the info at once. Cutting into that cake and pulling out the pink slice was a wonderful moment for us to share with our families and our extended chosen families, a.k.a. friends. I will say that I am a bit unsure about making it a whole separate party and very much of the belief that it is crass beyond acceptability to make it a second expected gift-giving event. So Thank you, Jennifer. I think your story is great and I'm glad you got to share your special moment with people via webcam.
0: And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is our email address and the only other address you need to know to find all things Stuff Mom Never Told You, including every single podcast, blog, video, and social media link. Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com